Welcome into the Fog.net podcast, Scott Chasen, Michael Swain, Kansas.247sports.com, here to talk all things KU football this week following the Jayhawks' 31-7 win over Central Michigan snap, an FBS record 46-game losing streak. Michael, we can start right there off the top if you want to just get into this. I I mean, a 46-game road losing streak, it spanned 10 seasons uh, five head coaches, including interim coach Clint Bowen. President Obama was in the first year of his first term of his presidency, uh, the last time before last Saturday that KU had won a road game. Uh, I mean, what do you think it meant to this program to to end such a, I guess, a, a, I'm not quite sure what the right word is there, but what do you think it meant for them to get a win? I think just the celebrations that you saw afterwards kind of tells the whole story. I think it's really important to these guys. I think that you look at the burden that's been put on this team, especially with all the talk that's going on around Beatty's job with Jeff Long now being here and to now go on the road and to break that streak. I think it is a monkey off their back and now they can go to Baylor in week four and not really think about having to break that streak and just go in and play in a game. I think it's a really big deal going forward too. You don't have that hanging over your head, as I said, for the Baylor game. But even going into next season, there isn't this talk of, oh, well, you know, you're just going to lose on the road as you have for the past nine, what would have been 10 seasons. So I think that also when you look at the donors that were there, I think that that says a lot too for the donors that want to give to this program and seeing that there is improvement. You could say that this is a step forward for the program because it is getting rid of an embarrassingly long streak. But I also, you have to measure the reactions. The Central Michigan team was not the best. They didn't play well. They had a quarterback that really is not a quarterback, was a tight end in high school, came to Central Michigan, and they changed him to a quarterback. So I think it is really important that they won this game, but I think we also need to temper expectations a little bit. Yeah, I think it would mean a lot more if they had won in week one. And I think what we learned from what Nickel State did against Tulane uh, is that anyone who was like, well, Nickel State was kind of, you know, X, Y, and Z. I think Beatty called them a middle-of-the-road Big 12 team on Hawk Talk. I, I think we learned that was clearly not the case and that it was just obviously a game that Kansas should have had that they, I mean, simply let get away based off of, you know, how many mistakes Nickel State made that KU just wasn't able to capitalize on. Uh, however, I think it's a big deal. I, I definitely think it's a big deal, and I'll agree there, that uh, KU ended the road losing streak. I mean, I've been covering the team for – give or take, the football team for only about three years. But, I mean, I was I was a student at KU, too, so I've been going to games for, for like six or so years. And um, I, it it's always just kind of been a general consensus that, like, oh, KU might get one game on the road, or if they get Iowa State, oh, that might be the game that KU wins on the road or, or whatever or something like that. Like, the fact of the matter is, I mean, KU on the road was so bad that they lost more than twice as many games by 40 points than they were in by single digits. They had 15 losses of 40 or more points. They had seven games of single digits. I, that, I, I mean, that number right there tells you every single thing you need to know about how bad that road losing streak was and how bad that team was on the road. David Beatty was a part of one single-digit road game. Still is, technically, because this was obviously a 24-point win. One single-digit road game, and I believe it was in his first year against TCU. So to not even play a road team when you're playing guys like Ohio, for example, or 
you know, I can't even think of, of maybe who some of the other guys were. Rutgers, I think, was one a couple or a few years ago. Uh, the fact that they couldn't play any of those guys by single digits, I, I think, I, I really think as impressive as the Big 12 streak is for basketball, you know, for winning it, it's the opposite for football. To not win a road game for 10 seasons or a stretch that spans across 10 seasons, it is a historic mark of, of, Really ineptitude, and I thought someone nailed it on the comment. I wrote a story kind of wrapping up the the, the streak and, and kind of putting it in perspective in some quotes by Beatty, who said things like, our fans deserve better, I'm glad it's over. Uh, he had a great quote about the veterans where he was like, unfortunately, they've been through a lot, but fortunately, they've been through a lot, which I thought was actually a really great quote. But one of the comments uh, on the board on that story was, uh, I'm glad the streak is over, but it's upsetting that we're getting so much national attention for uh, this kind of mark of ineptitude. And I think that's what you have to remember is, um, you know, this, this day goes down as a positive and, and it's also something that can't be used in recruiting against the Jayhawks now. Uh, but it goes down as a positive because it was such a, I mean, a, a gigantic negative. I, I mean, seriously, to have, to have 10 seasons, uh, nine with this being the 10th season. And obviously they won in the first season too, but to, to have that stretch, to have four, uh, or I guess three coaches in between Turner Gill, Charlie Weiss, interim coach, uh, Clint Bowen, and none of those guys could get a road win. And it took David Beatty four years. I, I think uh, I, it can't be, I, I almost think we didn't talk enough about the streak as it was going on, because I think that's, it, it really is historic. Um, and I, I doubt you'll ever see a power five program ever come close to, to going 10 seasons with, uh, without a road win, and that includes the cave football team. But you know now that's clearly behind them, and, and that's in part because of the thirty-one to seven win over Central Michigan. Um, biggest takeaway I think was pretty obvious, so uh, I don't think we have to debate or whatever about that. I think it's just Puka Williams. And uh, before the game, it came out that uh, about really like fifteen minutes that Puka Williams was confirmed playing. Uh, David Beatty said later said the team learned late, late last night, that was his words, late, late Friday night, basically, uh, that Puka Williams is going to be good to go. They told the team on Saturday, um, and then it was go time. Puka Williams got the first carry of the game. Uh, it was a seven-yard gain. He was uh, pretty electric at 125 rushing yards on 14 carries, uh, rushed for two touchdowns, 41-yard score, 20-yard score. And he really helped the Jayhawks. Uh, they were in a 7 nothing game. When he broke loose twice, it pushed the lead out to 21 uh, Central Michigan scored again. But at the same time, once Puka Williams got going, it was never really much of a question uh, as to who was going to win that game. So, uh, Swain, thoughts thoughts on Puka Williams' performance and uh, and any other takeaways from that? Sure. I thought that he really gave the offense a swagger that they didn't have in Week 1. When you looked at how they played against Nichols State, there really wasn't that electric player that could go and do what Puka Williams did, go and get a 40-yard run. Cleo Herbert's probably the closest guy you could say to that, and then probably see Steven Sims after that for you know breaking out a big play. But he gives that, you know, every time he touches the ball, you're concerned that he could go break off a big run. And I would really want to see more of him out of the backfield, just catching the ball going forward. I thought it was really interesting that they really didn't use him out of the backfield a lot you know, on third downs. So I think that that would be interesting watching how they use him going forward because David Beatty had said that they didn't want to use him a ton out of the backfield just because he is still 
undersized for a running back and he is still a true freshman and they don't want to overwork him as a true freshman where all of a sudden injuries can start to plague him and then you know all of a sudden he's on the sideline so I think it'll be interesting to see going forward how they use him but it was just so much fun to watch him wasn't it every time he touches it you know he's juking guys shredding tackles and that was the biggest takeaway I had from just Puka Williams himself was just how strong he is. He isn't the biggest guy in the world, but he shred multiple tackles on the first touchdown and I think one on the second touchdown. So I was really surprised by his physicality. David Beatty had talked after the game about how he really thinks that Puka Williams is a lot stronger than people give him credit for and that that really can surprise people when they go up against him. So I was really, really pleased with how he played and going against Rutgers now this week, I'll be really interested to see how he follows up this performance. Yeah, one thing that did surprise me was how many carries he got because I definitely thought he mm-hmm. was a guy that would be used more in the pass catching game and even more in outside runs. They didn't they didn't have a problem running him inside. And I think part of where that success too came from was a better offensive line play in the second half. In the first half, I thought the offensive line was worse than it was against Nichols State, just minus the disastrous snaps, because in part you had a change at center. Alex Fontana played a lot on that game, but Andrew Tovey actually got the start at center. Uh I guess it was Malik Clark who slid over at left guard. Now that I'm thinking about it, uh, and, and then obviously they they the Jayhawks used I believe eight offensive linemen because I think Oppie Main got snaps. Uh, Alex Fontana, like I mentioned, came in and Chris Hughes uh, got some time I believe at right guard, if I'm not mistaken. So or or maybe it was left guard. It was one of the guard spots, but. Regardless, you saw a bit of a different approach. Um, the first time KU put those three linemen in, that drive stalled. I believe it was a three and out, and the third down play was Peyton Bender being sacked for a loss of 11 yards. Uh, so that wasn't great by any means. And, uh, you know, KU still has a bunch of things to figure out offensively. But, um, you know, I think it was a good sign. Obviously, David Beatty didn't say much about uh, Puka Williams' status after the game. He was asked a number of times about it, and he just kind of said, that's all I can say. I can't really say what it is. seems pretty obvious at this point that if it's not an injury issue, uh, if it's not a um, disciplinary issue, I mean, you, you could speculate on whatever it is. Uh, you know, two categories that often come up are like grades and or eligibility. Um, we don't know that it's either of those. Just the staff has not, for whatever reason, been at liberty to disclose what it is. And Puka Williams has not been able to disclose because he's a freshman, so he won't speak to the media this season as part of KU football's media policy. So uh, obviously Puka Williams, uh, pretty, I, mean, I mean, an all-time freshman performance for making his debut. I thought it was, it was, it was kind of cool to see. And, and for Tony Hole, it had to feel extremely validating. This is one of the guys he went out and got from Louisiana – uh, not a lot. Not not all the big schools were in on Puka Williams, and I think uh, talking to some of our Louisiana recruiting guys, that's because his eligibility was in question uh, when he was going to college. That that did keep major major schools from going after him. This wasn't like KU took this guy from LSU. This was like KU took this guy from a bunch of schools that were like, "We'd like to have you, maybe okay. You're going to Kansas. All right, that's fine. We're not going to worry about it." Like and. and KU took a chance and said they wanted the the top talent and I mean you're you're seeing it right now you're 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 absolutely seeing what he can do on a, a football field and and that as you mentioned in your story Swain this is a guy you can build a program and build an offense around he's you know he's 
a good player as a freshman, but by the time he's in year two and year three, you know you're going to have a pretty special player. So uh, let's move along and get into our grades as we're going to do each week. So we're going to run through categories talking about KU football. We're going to go quarterback play, offense, uh, run defense, pass defense, and special teams. Um, We'll talk about a little bit about the coaching after that and then wrap up on uh, just kind of this whole win. So Swain, if you want to start with your grade for offense, uh, we'll get this thing kicked off. Or for quarterback play. Sorry, quarterback play. Yeah, sure. I'll still start with quarterback play. Um, I gave the quarterback play in general a C. I thought that it was lackluster again. I really wasn't taken back by anything that Peyton Bender did. I thought that that touchdown throw that he did have, he almost messed up the throw. He almost overthrew Kerr Johnson on that one. And I think that I was encouraged because Peyton Bender kind of stayed within himself, really didn't try and force any throws downfield. He would just, you know, a lot of more of the quicker slant routes. Quan Hampton had a couple good receptions. So I really wasn't overall impressed. I'd want to see more out of Bender to give him a B or an A. But out of the quarterback play and the reason and the fact that they did embrace the run this game just leads me to give him just a mediocre C. Yeah, I was in the same camp. I gave him a C minus, and it's yeah. I mean, no turnovers, so that's instantly uh, starts you at a pretty high mark. That's turnovers are really bad, especially from the quarterback position. So the fact that Q had no turnovers in this game, I thought was a really good sign. Uh, clearly, yeah, it was it was a ground game approach. I didn't have a problem. I actually thought the throw to Kurt Johnson was good. Uh, the only reason I dinged it from a C to a C minus was. Uh, they turned to Miles Kendrick in the first half, and so I'm just grading all the quarterbacks. And Miles Kendrick had one throw. It was a short throw, like around the line of scrimmage to, to I believe, Kerr Johnson. And it was so low that he had to basically pick it off the turf. Still able to run 15 yards after the catch with it, just because he was, I mean, essentially so wide open that there was no one around him. And uh, so, I mean, Kendrick really comes in and that, that drive stalls as has happened every single time he's been in, in on an offensive drive with the lone exception being a drive that he took over in the red zone. So I think when Kendrick has come into the game, other teams know that they're essentially just going to uh, run the ball because he isn't capable of making big 12 deep throws like, like Peyton Bender is. Maybe he's making capable of making short throws. Uh, but again, we didn't see that in that game. We, what we saw was, you know, a single attempt, and uh, that dinged it for me around the C minus. If the staff feels like Miles Kendrick is the guy, then I, I say the same thing I said last week: they should play Miles Kendrick every snap. Uh, they put him in the game for the first time right after Peyton Bender threw for a touchdown, and like someone joked on the boards, like, "Oh, this is when David Beatty's going to put in Miles Kendrick." And literally, my thought was like, "No, there's no chance." And then that was exactly what he did, and I was just like. I I guess Peyton Mender is going to be looking over the, his shoulder for the rest of his life. Whatever job he has after football, he is just constantly going to be fearing. No matter how good I do, I'm going to be replaced, you know, an instant later. So um, C minus was my grade. We can move to the offense. I gave the offense a B minus, and honestly, I I kind of thought about going lower. I gave him a D last week, and they scored 20 points against Nickel State. I think Central Michigan is better than Nickel State. I'm not sure how much better. The offense scored 24 points against them because seven was on a pick six. And three of those, honestly, were on that drive that KU took over in the red zone. So really, KU's offense scored 21 points, seven in the first half, and two Puka Williams touchdown runs in the second half. The rest was pretty much all because of the defense. Uh, So in that regard, look, I, I think the offensive line wasn't very good in the first half. Bender wasn't great. Uh, and, and KU's touchdown was set up by a special teams uh, return in a 15-yard penalty that gave KU great field position. 
Obviously, Puka Williams is really good. I give him an A if, if we are grading him out. But uh, yeah, o- overall, I went B minus. It's good that they scored 31 points. And also, they probably aren't going to score very much, you know, many more points in the following weeks when the competition gets tougher after Rutgers. So, uh, yeah, B minus was my grade for the offense. Yeah. So for me, if I wish you could grade out just the running backs and then take out the rest of the offense, just because I thought the running backs in general were really good. And I want to bring up something too that I've mentioned on the podcast a couple of times. We mentioned last week KU ran the ball, I believe it was 32 or 35 times. And in the preseason, when Beatty had said that they want to adopt a more run-heavy approach, I had kind of pointed to the number being 42 for the carries I'd like to see the Kansas offense get for them to really embrace the run game and for the running backs to get enough touches where they can get a rhythm going and get some breakthroughs for some yards. And I thought they did that. They had 45 carries as a whole. Uh, you, you had Puka Williams, Jerron Thompson, and Dom Williams and Khalil Herbert all average more than 3.3 yards per rush, which I thought was really good. Um, as a whole, I gave the offense just a C plus. What you said there is entirely correct. I think that scoring 21 points against a really not so good Central Michigan team isn't ideal. And when you go up against the better defenses in the Big 12, you're not going to be able to put up 21 points with a performance like this against a better Big 12 defense. So I think going forward, also looking at it, they had two three and outs and they had seven drives of five plays or less. So a lot of really short and choppy drives, but they just had so many more possessions and the defense was so dominant that it put the offense in really good positions. Yeah, and a thing on the run game too is like a lot of those plays like sacks and stuff like that and and those fumbles, they also count as rush attempts just because of how they go down in the box score. But I did note 18 carries uh, for KU running backs in the season opener, 18 carries in the first half for KU running backs against uh, Central Michigan. So I thought that was a, an obvious sign of progress. And obviously, you know, Duran Thompson and uh, and Puka Williams got a, a handful of carries, got a good, a good load of carries in the second half. So uh, very clearly there was more of an emphasis to get to the run game a little bit of a more conservative game plan, but you know what? I thought it worked. Um, moving to run defense, I gave KU a B plus. Last week I gave him a D as well. I uh, thought the run defense was good. Central Michigan ran for 47 yards in the fourth quarter, but outside of that, it was pretty dominant by the KU football defense. Joe Deneen and uh, Bryce Tornaden were just about everywhere. Uh, Keith Loniker had, had a, a couple nice plays. I think he finished with nine tackles. Uh, KU won the rushing battle 216 yards to 103 yards. Ultimately, I thought, KU's run defense was fine. I didn't think it was perfect, uh, and there were times where they allowed, I think, a few first downs on runs, but for the most part, I, I thought it was a, a fine performance. Yeah, I gave him a B plus. I thought it was a good bounce-back performance on the run defensive side of things you saw against Nichols State. I mean, you've seen it a bunch now, the touchdown where the line of scrimmage isn't set and there's really nobody in the secondary. Everyone collapses and the running back was able to break free. So I thought it was a really good bounce pack performance. Only gave up 103 yards on 28 carries. I thought it was good. I really would still like to see them be more resolute on first and second downs with just stopping the run. I really... The nickel look I like for second and third downs, but on first down, I really would just like to see a 4-3 just to be able to plug up the holes up the middle and kind of slow down whatever run game the opposing offense wants to try and run. And for pass defense, I gave him an A. I thought they really did a good job. Corion Harris got the start at corner instead of Hassan defense, and I thought he played 
okay. He didn't get targeted a whole a whole lot this game, but I thought that you know Shaq Taylor getting the interception and Joe Deneen getting his first career interception for KU, if I'm not mistaken, I thought that that was really big too because he had said in the preseason that he really wanted to improve his coverage because it would help his chances of making it in the NFL. And I think that for him to get a pick in the second game of the season will really help his confidence in coverage. And it wouldn't surprise me if he got one or two more this season. Yeah, that was definitely a big emphasis for Deneen. You know, he was talking about back in the spring that that he was told by when he when he kind of tested the NFL draft waters. You don't hear about that as much as, as with the NBA because guys can declare and pull their name out in the NBA and they don't really do that in the NFL. But um you know, he had he had talked about obviously that goal of wanting to get better in coverage, said it again at Big Twelve Media Day, again at Fall Camp. We wrote a couple stories on it, obviously, on our site. Um and, and for him it, it had to be great, you know, to get that interception. He kind of joked with the media after the game that that he was so excited that he actually just kind of like tripped and face planted and fell down. And you know, I, I thought KU's past defense was an A minus. I thought uh, you know, KU had five defensive takeaways that came on pass plays. We're giving credit for to Shaq Taylor for forcing that fumble, even though I'm not sure he actually did that much to force the fumble. It looked to me kind of more like the guy just kind of lost it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you think about interceptions by Ricky Thomas. This was a JUCO transfer from Blinn Junior College, um, a guy who was a standout of fall camp, a guy I talked to when he decided he was going to Kansas. Um, and, and he said he wanted to be an impact player from day one. Early in fall camp, David Beatty says he's making his mark on you know, getting kind of into the two deep roster listed as a cornerback. Looks like he plays some safety too. Uh, haven't had a chance to go back and look where, where all he was playing and, and how he got that interception just yet, but, but probably going to have some kind of a film room on that this week. So I thought he was good. Obviously you have what Joe Deneen did, Shaq Taylor getting a pick six and, you know, kind of forcing a fumble that Bryce tornado and recovered. Uh, Jeremiah Recu- uh, McCullough also had an interception. I, I thought, uh, obviously, when, when you get down in a, in a game like that, you're going to force throws and you're going to do things you wouldn't normally do. I mean, I think you've seen that. Uh, the game against Memphis, Montel Cozart and Ryan Willis combined for like seven turnovers or something like that. And a lot of the time it was like well, once they got four turnovers and the game was out of reach, they were just like, we're just going to take shots and throw it deep and, and see what happens. And so that's how you end up with seven turnovers in that, in that game or – Technically six this game because there was a, a muff punt, but really five defensive takeaways. That's kind of how that happens. It wasn't like the KU defense was – it wasn't like the game against Texas. That was cl- close the whole game where the KU defense, you know, I think came up with six turnovers or six takeaways. So um, A-minus was my grade. And the reason why, I think Elmore Hem- Hempstead uh, kind of screwed up a coverage. Maybe K was in either zone or man or some kind of mix. And uh, basically – he was the deepest defensive back on the left or left side of the defensive field, right side of the offensive field, uh, and the guy ran right by him and into the end zone for uh, the lone C Central Michigan. I keep wanting to call him Semo in part because C is, you know, S E, but also the letter uh, C is in Central. But uh, but in part because of that touchdown, um, I gave him an A minus. I think there's a little bit they could clean up, and I think if they played against a better quarterback, they would have had a, a little bit of a harder time too. So um, I'm I'm intrigued to see if this is kind of legitimate, you know, growth from the from the uh, secondary. They I didn't think the defense was bad in week one by any means. You know, I graded the run defense harshly, but they only gave up 17 points until the final drive of regulation. 
uh, in the in the same you know kind of note. I think this is a step forward because I think what you saw from again from Nickel State against Tulane is Nickel State is not that good. Like as much as people want to say, oh, they're a great FCS team, Nickel State is not that good. Look what they did against Tulane. Look what they you know. And, and I think if Pagoyans played against them, you obviously would have seen a different result from KU too. Uh, moving to special teams. I thought uh, I graded them out of B. I thought the special teams had some some good, some bad. Uh, like a lot of the units, obviously Gabriel Rui missed a missed a short field goal, uh, mostly because of the wind. But also, uh, according to the broadcast, at least the wind was kind of constant at that point. It just hadn't died down. So um, maybe maybe you should have been able to kind of account for that. Um, Jox also had a nice punt return uh, by Kwame Lasseter, who is very clearly now KU's first string punt returner, and getting involved in the passing game too, uh, which is nice to see. Um, they had a, a punt return by him wiped out because of penalty. Uh, however, KU made a field goal. Uh, the punting unit recovered a muffed punt. I thought Kyle Thompson was solid punting the ball. Um, overall, thought a B was a was a fair grade for them. Thought there were th- some things they could do better. Um, but also a number of things they could have done worse. So, uh, you know, I, I think they also had kind of a muffed, uh, you know, snap exchange that Kyle Thompson actually did a great job of, of keeping from being an issue, and he got it off against against heavy pressure. So um, o- overall, I thought special teams was pretty good. Nothing really to complain about. Thoughts on special teams? Yeah, I gave him just a B-. minus. I think that anytime you miss a field goal, that's got to be something that brings down your grade so for lack of a better word. Shout out to Gabriel Ruiz, though, for liking my tweet about the wind affecting his field goal. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, but I thought that Kyle Thompson had a really a really good game again, you know, averaged 40 yards a punt, which is good, and didn't have any big returns go against the return unit. Um, I thought that Kwame Lasseter, I really am excited every time he gets to return the punt. But what does it say about... Steven Sims does it say more about Kwame Lasseter's performances or does it say more about Steven Sims that Lasseter is the guy that's returning the punts right now that's something I'll be looking at going forward especially if Lasseter continues to return punts but I thought overall it was a, a, a good performance nothing to complain about nothing really that you say okay that's an egregious error so just a overall a solid day for the special teams yeah I think so I, I don't think so with the Kwame Lasseter, Stephen Sims thing, part of me wonders if it's just not wanting to put too much on Stephen Sims, especially because it was, I mean, it was game one. We hadn't seen either of these guys in a game before the staff clearly made that decision. You know, at this point, though, with Stephen Sims kind of having kind of lackluster hands and a lackluster start to the season, it doesn't shock me that they wouldn't necessarily be in a position to be like, you know, get this guy the ball in every play. I think, you know, originally Puka Williams was listed as the starting kicker turner. I think they should change that if they're going to use him as heavily as they want to in the offense, uh, just because, yes, it would be nice to get on the ball every time. But think about the Kansas City Chiefs. Tyreek Hill does not return every punt and every kick because you would kill him if he was doing, you know, if, if he's constantly on the field doing whatever, he's going to get worn down, he's going to get hurt, he's going to get tired. It wouldn't shock me if this was the most carries Puka Williams gets in a game all year, by the way, because I think they're going to be very protective of, of, just keeping him healthy and keeping him on the field and, and keeping him uh, I just able to, to do what he does and be explosive. You saw it with Khalil Herbert last year. He has that 291-yard game. Uh, the next next game, it's kind of business as usual. He gets injured. He's never the same that season. And they obviously didn't have the depth to overcome that last year. Uh, this year, they have already overcome one running back injury with 
Kazeli Flomo. Uh, and on that note, they had a fourth and one on the 45 that they chose not to go for. And I think the exchange ended up working because either they got a pick six or they got the ball back or something. I think that was the pick six, if I'm not mistaken. So it ended up working. But I thought that was another clear indicator of no matter how good Puka Williams is playing, he's not an inside the tackles runner. They don't want to stick him in a fourth and one situation, just say run it up the middle. And I thought that was very telling, uh, quite frankly, that that was the way that they chose to play that. I mean, a fourth and one on the 45 is the most obvious going forward situation of anything. And I think like three plays later, uh, Central Michigan was back at the 40 yard line or something like that. But fourth and one past midfield should be automatic. There should never be a time unless you are down by two and there's tense, you know, situational football. Um, really, you should be going for that every single time. And so the, the fact that even how well Puka Williams is playing, that they chose to punt it, and the defense was playing too, obviously, but the defense had just given up a touchdown. That was right after Central Michigan had marched down the field and scored a touchdown. It was 21-7, to I want to say, at that point. I thought that was a very interesting decision. I thought that was still telling of maybe some of the limitations uh, and maybe some of the ways that they're not going to use Puka Williams just yet. So I, I think there's a, a lot to look forward to from Puka Williams. But again, it also wouldn't shock me if that if you just witnessed his best performance, 133 all-purpose yards. Uh, it would not shock me if that was the best performance we actually saw out of Puka Williams this year. So let, let's kind of wrap up on a couple of topics. What changes for KU now? Because I think, you know, we had talked about in the preseason if David Beatty is making a checklist of how do I guarantee or feel really good about keeping my job? The first thing on the checklist was two non-conference wins for me. And if David Beatty wins in week three and week two, week two and week three, I think I think he will be in as good as a situation he would have been as if he had won week one and week two. And I think he'll be in a better situation than if he had won week one and week three. Winning a road game was also a check mark I put on that list. But I think if KU has three straight wins going into the fourth week of the season, they can say, well, Puka Williams didn't play. That's why we didn't beat whoever, you know, Nickel State. I think that it would be a ridiculous, I mean, an absurd excuse for being an FCS team that lost to Tulane. But you can at least sell that. You can at least say, hey, we're basically 3 0 right now when everyone, you know, if everyone plays. So um, I actually think the program is kind of back to even. Um, which is not great for David Beatty. I think he needs to come out very far ahead this season to to kind of keep his job. But, you know, I think two non-conference wins, three Big 12 wins, I think that would absolutely uh, be enough to to either set him up to where he does keep his job or to be in a position where, you know, I think he'll land a coordinator or a, an assistant job after after he is done coaching at KU. However, you know, if he turns around and wins five games, three Big 12 games in his last year, Maybe that makes him an attracting head coaching candidate down the line that he can say, look, it took a while at Kansas. I made a lot of mistakes. I learned a lot. But in year four, we won five games. So um, I, I don't know. Those are just kind of my thoughts on where KU is now, what changes. I don't think this game in by itself changes much other than getting KU back to even. And like I said, I think KU needs to be way ahead uh, for Beatty to return as coach. But uh, any any thoughts on on Beatty here? I think I I agree with that sentiment that they're back even on the year now. And if they would come out against Rutgers this Saturday and put on an impressive performance at home in front of whatever fans show up, I think that that will be almost – it won't make up for the Nickel State loss, but it will do a lot in making up for that loss. And I think that it helps the program as a whole, as I said at the beginning, 
it gets the monkey off your back. Going through the rest of this season, you don't have to worry about it now. And I think as for Beatty's job it's itself, winning that road game was crucial for him. But I think, again, losing Nickel State really did put the nail in the coffin for him specifically, unless they go on and win at Baylor, win at Texas Tech, and beat Kansas State. I mean, dang, those are all three road games. I, that's just It's so hard for me to find a way where they can win three conference games this season. I think that that'll be really tough to do, but I think if they come out against Rutgers and have a really strong performance and Puka Williams is still electric and he's not going to have the same performance as he did on yesterday, but if he can come out and just still be electric, maybe with less carries and the rest of the offense can click a little bit better than they did yesterday, I think that that'll be a big step forward going into Big 12 play. Yeah, maybe this is just me drinking the Kool-Aid or reading too much into things. The sense I get of this KU team is that they're going to lose a lot of close games in Big 12 play. Like, not every week, but it wouldn't shock me if they lost five games by, like, 12 or fewer points, which was, if I'm not mistaken, well, not, I'm doing this off the top of my head. I think 12 was their closest loss margin last year. So it wouldn't shock me if they had five of those games in Big 12 play. I still expect them to not win many games from here on out. I think they'll probably beat Rutgers and they might win one other game, maybe two. Uh, but but this team to me profiles as a team that's going to compete with a bunch of other teams. And I think that's important in terms of making, if there is a head coaching change, in terms of making this head coaching job attractive. Because there's there seems to be a gigantic sentiment of, oh, it's impossible to win at Kansas. And you know if you just look at the games that, that David Beatty should have won, you know, in terms of, of games that KU clearly was in a position to win that they lost, he would have won one game in his first year, four games in his second year, two games in his third year, which was a, a step backward, and he'd be, you know, 2-0 getting ready to go 3-0 right now. So uh, I think all of a sudden that program doesn't look like the most down and horrible and whatever program in the world. It just looks like a program that struggled and uh, obviously had to deal with, you know, scholarship issues and, and transition to a new coach who had never been a head coach. but. I think, like I said, seven wins in three years, four, one, and two, looks a lot different than three wins in three years. Or, or is it six wins in your first three years looks a lot different than three. Six still isn't great, but when you have a you know one win, four win, or, or whatever it is, season, and, and then a, an, I guess another one win season because they weren't really competitive in any other games, then you can kind of point to Hey, maybe it's just the that this coach was here to get you from point A to to point B, but you're really trying to get to point C, D, E, and F. You know, in in terms of com- contending and competing. And I don't think that's a knock on Beatty. I think whatever happens to the KU program, it will be better than he inherited it in year one. Um, I think you can question whether or not this team is better than it was in year two. Um, but at the same time, when Puka Williams plays, I'd I'd argue it it actually is, uh, especially mm-hmm. if the offensive line can show you know, legitimate progress and continue to be um, uh, a unit that improves uh, week to week, half to half, at least kind of develop some kind of a chemistry and an understanding of playing with each other. Um, And I think it'll be good for them if they can actually settle on a five-man unit. I get wanting to use depth and maybe depth on the interior offensive line isn't as important, but I mean, you even saw like Hakeem Adeniji just whiff on a block on a third down, which... Uh, was surprising to see Peyton Mender didn't get sacked. He only took one sack. Uh, give Peyton Mender a lot of credit, a guy who's often criticized, rightfully so, uh, for failing to sense pressure, only taking one sack. Uh, I thought that was 
a promising sign for him, even though KU obviously only scored seven points in the first half. So um, ultimately, I, I think if you're a KU fan, you're feeling good about this win, but not great, especially because KU probably should be 2-0 right now. Um, and they'll have a chance to make it 3-0 against a Rutgers team that, you know, I, I caught a little bit of the first half against Ohio State just watching a replay, and uh, they were getting absolutely decimated. I think they gave up five touchdowns in the first half, and they were down by 40-something into the into the second half. So I stopped watching because you weren't going to learn much from that game. Uh, and obviously there are differences in competition between Ohio State and Kansas. However, uh, that's basically how Kansas would fare if Kansas played Ohio State. So uh, that at least is a tells you something. I don't know. Progress has to start somewhere. So any any other wrapping up wrapping up here? Any other thoughts on the game, on the season, anything else you want to get out there? Just two thoughts on the on the season on two players. Puka Williams and Corian Harris are cornerstone players. Like there, uh, it, it's a little dramatic that we're two games into their collegiate careers, but they're cornerstone guys. I talked about it in my takeaways. Puka Williams is a guy that if whatever coach comes in, if Beatty's fired, if they don't build around Puka Williams, it will be a travesty because he is that talented. You saw yesterday just the. F- just the talent that he has and being only a true freshman, he can put on weight. He'll be able to get better and just be more, more fundamentally sound. And Corian Harris on the other side, he'll continue to get better. He won't be as loose in coverage as he was against nickel state that I showed in the film room. He'll be a lot tighter because he'll have that confidence that, Hey, I can stick with these guys. And I think that if whatever coach comes in, if they keep Tony Hall, I really find it hard to believe that both or either would transfer should Beatty be fired. So just going forward, I've been really impressed with the two of them through these first two games, and I'm really excited to see how they kind of develop throughout this season and throughout their collegiate careers. Yeah, Tony O can coach anywhere, man. I'll tell you that. I I don't know how great he is with uh, X's and O's and and whatnot. He can coach. If, If you can recruit and you can recruit to Kansas, you can bring in four-star talent to Kansas and Mike Lee, who is a three-star guy, and I mean Malik Clark, you TK Williams. You could go across the roster. There are so many Louisiana guys on it now, and so many guys like Duran Branch that they're in on. That you're like, how are they in on these guys? I wrote a story about a Cedric von Prahn, four-star offensive lineman. Kansas is near the top of his list. In addition to, I mean, schools like Florida, like SEC schools. He's got legitimate SEC interests, and he's like. But I like Kansas, and I, uh, so much of that is because of Tony Hole. Um, I think it would be a huge mistake if there was a coaching change for that next coach. I mean, maybe it's a guy who has a great staff and a great running backs coach, whatever. Tony Hole to me is the guy you find a way to pay and you find a way to keep on your you keep a you you know you find a way to keep on your staff. I think Garrett Riley might be one of those guys too. I don't think he has the largest role in the world, but I think kids really like him and resonate with him. And I think in a place like Kansas, having those kind of Either younger or relatable coaches is important. And Hole obviously relates to what's going on in the Louisiana area. He's from there. He's coached there. He's he's the Penny Hardaway of Louisiana football, essentially, in that he you know coached at that level. Obviously, he's not like a like a football legend, but um, and Garrett Riley's an example of a really you know a, a young up and coming guy who, when kids talk to, they relate. So, uh, all right, that's going to wrap it us uh, wrap it up for us this week on the Fog.net podcast again. Check out kansas.247sports.com, fog.net, for all your KU coverage. This has been Scott Chasen, along with Michael Swain, signing off, and we will talk to you guys next week.